What's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of Wednesday Night Wars here on Suplex We Tweet Extra. My name is David Hockney and Daddy's home. Yep, after a, a well-earned one-week holiday in the slopes of Austria, I'm back to present the Wednesday Night Wars as part of uh, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet's great content. And you know what? I'm feeling really refreshed after winning every title and accolade that ESSR has to offer. That one-week vacation has really perked me up and I'm ready to get back to the grind. So, if you're listening to Suplex Retweet Extra for the first time, we are our secondary channel alongside Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet on Spotify, iTunes, Android, and all good uh, other podcasting sites. We're also on Anchor. Uh, don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. And we are also on YouTube, where you can see our 365 Championship Series unfold. And if you want to get all the show, interview, and other articles uh on the inside scoop, visit suplexretweet.com for everything else in between. Uh, but now to introduce my guest for this week, he's making his debut appearance on the Wednesday Night Wars this week. It is the man behind the podcast himself, is Mr. Stephen Wilson. Stevie, how are you? Yes, like with the so-called the so-called man behind the dark order, I supervise all sorts of absolute madness <laughs> and, and occasional botches, yep. like the dark order. So are you the exalted one then that everybody's uh, been talking about? If the exalted one turns out to be Matt Hardy, I wouldn't complain. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's rumours going around that it could be Matt Hardy, it could be Brody Lee, but you know, we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll uh, get into the discussion as it, as it unfolds. Uh, but Stevie, this is as this is your first time on the show. I've given you the scoop of how this works. Uh, we go through AEW and NXT for this week, and I want you to give me your top three ranked, undeniable, and undisputed moments from each shows, and we'll just break it down. Uh, in context. So, should we kick things off? Yeah, sure, go for it. Let's do this. Okay, now, for our number three undeniable moment of AEW Dynamite this week, it is we both have gone for the opening match, uh, which was the AEW Tag Team Championship title match between Kenny Omega and Hangman Page, defending against the former champions, SCU. SCU! Yep, and now the titles changed hands back on the cruise of Jericho, uh, a few weeks ago, so this is the sort of obligatory rematch between these two teams. Um, ever since that sort of match at the Cruise of Jericho, how well do you think Kenny and Hangman have done as a tag team? I actually think uh, it's actually benefited Hangman Page a lot more than I actually expected, to be fair. Like the, if we talk, a few months ago, Hangman Page looked like a man who was floundering on the AEW. A man with, with talent, that's, you can't deny that. But he was maybe thrust into the spotlight too early with him being the first uh, in the first AEW Championship match with Jericho. So I think he's now starting to find himself a bit of a character, a bit of a groove, and the whole kind of drunken type character that he's got going on right now mm -hmm. is pretty much suiting him to a T. I think. Yeah, I would say so. But I mean, give God give credit to SCU as well. I think they've had a quite a formidable run 
as the tag team champions when I don't think everybody expects them to be the very first champions as well. No, uh, I think many people would expect that at the beginning of the tournament especially for probably the Bucks would be the guys to win it for the first and then as the tournament unfolded it looked as though it was going to be the Lucha Bros. So to go with the the popular team I think it's fair to say they're not an unpopular team by any means of SCU was a bit of a surprise at the time. Mm -hmm. And do you feel, you think there's still a wee bit of resentment between Omega and Hangman? Because you know they've sort of acted as like a a sort of uneasy alliance tag team, given that Hangman has sort of distanced himself from the elite a bit. Uh, they're a bit well, they're that kind of unconventional team, as you kind of uh, early weeks there was a lot of uh, dysfunctionality to them. The last couple of weeks, I think, I've found well, this week in particular, there wasn't as much of that. It was more just a solid match, but they have had they have had issues in the last couple of weeks. So that there probably is a good chance that the feud will eventually come someday. The turn will come. The big mm -hmm. question of the last few weeks, though, is um, given the Hangman's character, how well it's got over, will it be him that turns? Or maybe they go for Kenny? Never know. Mm. Yeah, because Kenny's sort of got a sort of secondary feud on the side with Pack at the minute, but we'll obviously touch on that in a bit. But just going into the match itself, were there any spots in particular that really stood out for you? I thought there was, a, there was some quite... There was a lot of good sequences, I think, in particular, where uh, Hangman would go for the buckshot. Uh, it took him a couple of times to actually go eventually, but I particularly liked the was it the closing uh, finishing move, the kind of double team buckshot uh, V trigger to the back of the head type spot was a very brutal tag team finisher. I think it's fair mm -hmm. to say being sandwiched in between. Yeah, I like that spot as well. But I think the spot that really did it for me was um, the the last pinfall of the match, where you know after said double team finish, you could actually see. I think it was. Kazarian actually had his hand on the bottom rope as soon as the referee's hand hit the mat for three. So I was wondering if there would be like a bit of a a controversial finish or maybe a potential restart. But do you think that gives SCU a reason to stake their claim for another rematch down the line? Uh, yes, as well. I mean, in terms of that actual spot, I thought that Kazarian actually got his hand on the rope before the three. Right. I didn't think there was a lot of contention to it. I thought it was quite clear that he went. And you could see what they were going for uh, with the whole he's maybe just got it and maybe just missed it. But I actually think he had it a decent bit before, so I wasn't. It kind of, for what was a solid match for most things, there was a few bits and bobs that maybe didn't feel as fluid as a normal match between these four would normally do. But that kind of felt like a bit of a flatter finish, I think it's fair to say. Mm, maybe a little bit, but you can tell the storytelling is there and with the build towards what's happening next week as well. Like, we've got this big tag team battle royal to determine the next contenders, mm -hmm. and they will face each other at Revolution for the tag titles. So we've got uh, Hybrid 2, Dark Order, Butcher and Blade, Best Friends, Young Bucks, Private Party, and a whole cavalcade of other tag teams, including like the Young Bucks as well. Like, I think it just goes to show how stacked AEW's tag team division actually is once you see them all in the one ring. Yeah, I mean, they are, on paper, is a fantastic division. I think, at following on from the tag team tournament, there was a spell where it kind of fell a wee bit flat. There wasn't really a lot going on in terms of actual story development. Mm -hmm. But uh, you'd hope that in the coming weeks, uh, you'd assume, based on the past uh, couple of weeks, that the Bucks would win that Battle Royal. Yep. And then go on to face Hangman and Omega at the pay-per-view. But... You never know. It could be they could throw a curveball. We may end up with somebody like I don't know. The hybrid two would be a deserve, would be a decent shot. Um, 
private party have kind of fell a wee bit away as well, so it'd be good to get them a good show, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping we get to see Hangman and Omega versus the Young Bucks at some stage, but I think Revolution might be a bit early, but I think this would be a good chance to sort of maybe get a, like another heel tag team, a bit of elevation. So, you know, Hybrid 2 are a great shout. Maybe Butcher and Blade as well. Butcher and Blade are a logical one. They kind of came into this whole uh, destructive first week, and then ever since then, they kind of felt like they're just getting, they're the ones that are just getting thrown. Mm -hmm. So they could probably use a dominant... Uh, spell and maybe a shot at the tag titles could be that. But one team I actually would be willing to bet on in that battle royal, given that they've had a sort of um, oversight over what was going on between these two teams here, the Dark Order. Uh, the my, Dark my favorite tag team ever. Yeah, remember they issued that opening warning and then Christopher Daniels went to went to the back to check on them and stuff. It never reappeared. Yeah, I mean, I would be surprised, you know, if maybe the Dark Order, like. You know, stole this tag team battle royal victory. Uh, I'm not 100. I'm, I'm still very divided on the Dark Order. I'm quite. They're not throwing them in your face as much, mm -hmm. which makes it a bit better. But at the same time, I'm still not convinced on them. I think whoever comes out to be the exod the, the leader of the Dark Order, uh, could help turn their fortunes about if it's the guys like a Matt Hardy or a Rosie Lee or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that could be a potential point. For that reason, I don't think they will win it, but they could have a dominant showing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they've got the Creepers helping them out, and there's still the threat of the Exalted One, as Per discussed. So I think, you know, maybe we shouldn't entirely dismiss the Dark Order just yet, but we'll definitely keep them in mind along with all these other contenders. But the fact that, you know, we're talking about how there are so many different tag teams that it could be, I mean, this, this only benefits AEW in the long run. Yeah, totally. I agree with you on that one. Okay, so moving on to your uh, number two undeniable moment of the week, and it was actually the closing segment of this show with John Moxley defeating Santana in what was sort of like an eye for an eye type blood feud, and then there was the beatdown from the inner circle, and then the appearance of Jericho's mercenary Jeff Cobb. Now, yeah. Jeff Cobb had a bit of a, a wee bit of a vignette promo just to sort of hype him up a bit, but. He appears the same day. Like, how impactful is that statement for Jeff Cobb? Oh, it was very much so. I don't know if you've seen it, Dave, but at the, earlier on in that day, Jeff Cobb had put out a tweet because uh, Jeff Cobb is um, competing over in the UK this weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, he was at Rev Pro last night down south and he's going to be OTT over the weekend as well. So he put out a tweet saying, on my way to Rev Pro and OTT. Mm -hmm. And then, obviously, later on that night, he shows up at the end of Dynamite to... A bit of a shock, considering the fact that everybody he's doing those shows in the UK, plus the fact he's still involved in a way with Ring of Honor and in a way New Japan. But we're not hundred percent sure. I don't think on his contract status. There's talk it's probably he's only in at the moment for the part time basis, only in for a couple of shows. Mm -hmm. But if they get him in permanently, it's a big get because he is a fantastic wrestler and. He's very well known in independence scene, former Olympian. He's, he fits the kind of role that they're going to bring him in the next two weeks especially very, very well. Yeah, because he had he has that sort of powerhouse sort of image about him. He almost kind of reminds me of like Bronson Reed a bit in NXT, you know, just a big guy who could run circles around you. And with that sort of swinging power slam, the was it Tour of the Islands? The Islands, yeah. Yeah, it's a devastating finisher. Would you... Would you be keen to see him in the inner circle if he does sign with AEW permanently? Uh, I think the inner circle is a good, a good fit for him because he has kind of got that kind of 
mercenary type powerhouse uh, thing that would of it would suit it. In the same way as well, it doesn't really clash with Jake Hager too much, which mm-hmm. is good. There's not too much similarities to them because uh, while Hager's a bit more of a, a fighter, brawler, all American, you know, uh, Cobb's a bit more mobile. Yeah, so, definitely. I I just hope that you know if they do bring Jeff Cobb in on a more regular basis, that it doesn't oversaturate the inner circle too much because they've got quite a lot of members as is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it. Uh, given the t- if he only has in for a couple of shows. It makes sense for him to be in a circle at the moment. Maybe if they get him in permanently, he would go off and maybe do his own thing. Yeah, maybe. Um, what's your views on John Moxley? Because I've had a I've had a discussion with a few of the guys on the on the podcast before about Moxley and how he's literally just turned around everything for himself by making the move to AEW. How do you think he's done so far? He certainly looks like a man who's enjoyed himself. I think it's mm-hmm. fair to say he seems to be in his element. Uh, one thing. Dave, I would say to him, obviously you're not a man who follows the New Japan scene as much, but John Moxley New Japan is much better than John Moxley AEW, I think. That's, yeah, not to, that's not to disregard what he's doing in AEW. I think the stuff he's doing in AEW is absolutely brilliant. He's kind of got that whole modern-day Stone Cold Steve Austin type feel. Yeah, he definitely comes across much more unhinged in his promos when he's doing New Japan type work. And he is the current IWGP United States champion as well. Yes, indeed, yes. Currently feuding with Zack Sabre Jr. in the next coming months. Mm. Oh, no, that might give me a reason to watch uh, New Japan uh, yet again. But then again, last time I saw a New Japan show was probably when Jericho clashed with Omega at Wrestle Kingdom. Mm-hmm. But uh, his, his work is really good. I mean, this whole feud with the Inner Circle is... I don't think it's, it's not only making him look good. I actually think it's making the guys in the Inner Circle look good as well because one of my early criticisms of Dynamite was how they were wasted the opportunity. I don't think they capitalised on the momentum as much with Proud and Powerful. Yeah, Proud and Powerful, Santana and Ortiz, yeah. Yeah, but I think over the last this last couple of weeks, they've actually shown a different a new element to uh, both Santana and Ortiz, yeah, which I think yeah. is good. Santana in particular, I mean, that uh, sit-down interview he did with JR mm-hmm. was fantastic. Yeah, I remember watching that and it really sort of added a bit of dimension and personality to Santana and Ortiz. You don't just look look at them as, you know, just Jericho's heavy tag team. You know, they've actually got a story behind them and it makes you want to invest in them a lot more. And I think I like how they how both him and Moxley both had, you know, the eye for an eye angle sort of going into this feud. And that really sort of added a bit of build to it. But do you think the um, I know a lot of people have been saying, you know, you know, taking shots to the eye is usually a bit bit risky but do you think it's benefited both sides in this case uh yeah i think so as you said it's, a, it's definitely a risk in case something doesn't really in case a misstep happens and then actually you end up are actually really damaged to your eye but yeah. in terms of moxley it's actually good the great thing about mox with it is he actually continues that wear that eye patch anywhere else it goes he wore yep. it at new japan the last few weeks as well so he's he is fully committed to what he's doing in terms of that gimmick and he's he is probably the most uh, over babyface other than Cody in the company hands down yeah and I can honestly see him being the world champion very very soon maybe not revolution per se but he will get there eventually I think so yeah alright so my number two undeniable moment of this week was actually also your number one as well so we're kind of killing two birds with one stone here and it is the promo cut by Dr. Britt Baker. 
who's underwent somewhat of a heel turn in the last couple of weeks. I, and I think this is probably the best direction they could have gone with her because, you know, she was the first woman signed to AEW, but she never really got her rhythm going within sort of the end of 2019. Like, do you think this heel turn has really done wonders for her? I think with a Britt Baker character, since she came in, you mentioned the fanfare that coming in, she was the first one signed, but she was pushed far too heavily far too soon. She was not ready for that to be the, the main face of the division, which I think helps with the kind of hindrance of the women's division over the past couple uh, past few months. But you feel with the heel gimmick, as with a lot of wrestlers do, a lot of, they, they're more comfortable in being an absolute asshole. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And I remember, like, obviously I wasn't here last week, or because I understand she was in a match with uh, Yuka Sakazaki. Yep, that's and the one. She and she actually knocked some of her teeth out. Yeah, she. I think a lot of fun has been poked at the continuous mentions of Bert Baker being a dentist. Like, yeah. she, obviously, it's, it's, it's a. It's a different thing that she's still working as a full-time medical practitioner while pursuing a wrestling career but you talk about Roman Reigns being shoved in your throat Jesus that was shoved right into your gub <laughs> uh, but in terms of the this week's promo she used the whole dentist thing in a negative heel aspect saying oh I've actually done her a favour by knocking her teeth out and saving her loads of money that was great that was a genius line that I thought it was brilliant yeah, I love that. And the fact, you know, she's incorporating her knowledge as a dentist into a heel gimmick. You know what it kind of reminds me of? But it, in WWE, it was just made too cheesy. It was David Otunga and his background as a lawyer. Yeah. Like, the way he did it, it was very almost like it was the bare bones of it. Like even a child could have probably figured out how to incorporate that lawyer sort of talk in there. But the, the kind of words and terminology that Baker was using, it felt like legitimate is like if you weren't a specialist on the subject you wouldn't know what on earth she was talking about yeah she kind of came across really condescending which is what you want as a heel mm. and just one other thing about this promo what was with the the Whataburger chant because I'm not really sure how that can annoy a, a Texas crowd um not 100% sure it's probably something to do but it's probably some sort of maybe like an American football connotation possibly not yeah not, not my strongest point, to be honest, Dave, so I'm not as, I'm like you, I'm not 100% sure on it. Um, maybe, maybe that's just something us, uh, us British fans maybe don't understand, but it's, uh, it definitely got heel heat from the crowd, so I suppose it did its job. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I, I think she's got a better direction going forward now, which could hopefully uh, help the women's division in the future. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm curious to see what they do with her now, and I think it might be too early to put her in the women's title division just now, but getting that heel heat and getting a new angle, given that, you know, the Nightmare Collective angle has been dropped, like, she's got the opportunity now to be the top heel. Excellent, yeah. Yeah. So, just before we go into the number one, my number one undeniable moment this week, because we've kind of already covered yours a bit, mm-hmm. uh, we're just going to look at some honourable mentions. Uh, we've got some of the other stuff we had on. We had the, the promo from Pac. Yeah. Uh, calling out Kenny Omega and the fact that they're going to have a 30-minute Ironman match in two weeks. Are you excited for this match? It's going to be an absolute barnstormer. I can't actually wait. Two of the best in the world going at it for 30 minutes straight. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fantastic television, I think. 
Yeah, and you know, Pac, you know, kind of like Moxley, he's really sort of found his groove with AEW much better than he ever did in WWE. Like he, he can really sort of act on that really proper bastard heel that he's he's just so he plays so naturally. Yeah, when you look at his work uh, with AEW and when he was on the independence after his WWE release, it's so baffling why WWE kind of pigeonholed him a wee bit in that cruiserweight division. Yeah, definitely. Like just seeing him take front and center with AEW's sort of upper mid card, mm. that that's exactly where he should have been a long time ago. hundred percent, fully agree. Uh, some of the other matches we have: uh, Sammy Guevara versus Dustin, Dustin Rhodes. Yes. And uh, Dustin gets a bit of retribution over the Spanish God, so they're now sort of at one apiece a bit. Although some people were saying Dustin shouldn't have gone over Sammy G like that. But you know what? I disagree. I think this is now building towards a potential feud between Dustin and Jake Hager. Yeah, I think given the fallout from what happened after the match with uh, Dustin challenging uh, Jake Hager to the match at the pay-per-view, I think it was probably the right decision to have him go over Sammy. My one big pet peeve currently with Dustin is he overuses the Destroyer. Oh, yeah, I mean, the, he's just really watering down the the, Can- the Canadian Destroyer right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's Adam Cole's finisher, by the way, and he uses it, you know, not that often. Well, Dave, let's educate you. It was originally Petey Williams' finisher that Adam Cole incorporated in a different manner. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. But, I mean, nothing to take away from the Canadian Destroyer. I mean, it is a devastating move, but... It comes across too much as a transitional move. Yeah, exactly. And Dustin's one of the, the worst culprit, culprits for it, I think. Mm. And the one, the, the other one gripe I had about his sort of closing promo towards Hager is that he said his, his MMA career was a flop. But I it's not defeat. really, though. Exactly, he's undefeated in MMA. I'd say he's having a thriving MMA career at the minute. They acknowledged that, actually, in commentary, I'm sure, as well. Yep, JR pointed it out as well, so fair play to him. Uh, the other thing as well is... This will be Jake Hager's debut match as well. Like, do you think he's gone too long without having a match in AEW so far, or do you think now's the right time to do it? Uh, no, I think the, the, it's actually been fine. I actually think he's he's done okay with what stuff he's done. He's not really hogged the spotlight too much, and it's kind of just built to the right point. And uh, yeah, I think this is the right time for it. Fair enough. Uh, and then finally, the other match we had we had Jungle Boy, Jungle Boy Jack Perry going up against MJF. In what was quite a, a very uh, surprisingly good match, dare I say. Jungle Boy is very good. Jungle Boy is very... He's going to be a, a big star if AEW use him right over the next uh, year or two. And Would you say Jungle Boy is probably the most improved superstar in AEW so far? Um, I'd, He's probably up there. I wouldn't, I'm, I'm trying to think if there was anybody else I would kind of put as an improved over him. But he is definitely... Up there, and the, the fans are really into the Jurassic Express, which helps. Mm-hmm. And I think if anybody would benefit from having from having a mid card title in AEW, Jungle Boy would be one of them. I mean, you know, he may not have a lot. Of, he may not have a lot of wins under his record, but you know, he's gone the distance with Chris Jericho. He's now gone the distance with MJF, like two of the company's most talked about stars. Like, Jungle Boy stock's only just going to continue to rise, especially as part of the Jurassic Express. Yeah, I think so, I think so yeah. Now, I think we've got to talk about arguably the biggest heel in the company right now. Like, this is the week after MJF gave Cody his uh, his 10 lashes as part of his stipulations for Revolution. Like, what was 
I, I saw a clip of those of the lashes being done, and honestly, it was uncomfortable to watch. It was uncomfortable, but gripping at the same time. Oh, oh yeah, it, did. it was gripping definitely. But it was just, it was one of those things like you, you don't like you have to watch it, but at the same time, you can't help but wince at it. Yeah, hundred percent. It was it was compelling TV. Mm. But yeah, MJF definitely comes across looking strong and using the the double cross crossroads finisher. It just it goes to show it it's proper heel heat at its finest. Yeah, he's he's great at building negativity from the crowd mm. before anything he does. The small subtleties, the fact the comments to Brandy Rhodes in commentary. Oh, that, uh, was, that was disgusting. It's it's building up. He's, he's building heat for him, uh, and that's what they want to do. He's not feared to go nuclear. Oh yeah, he's not afraid to push boundaries. Definitely not. Hundred percent. And. Uh, It'll be interesting to see next week's next week's the cage match between Cody and Wardlow as well. So that's right. Yep. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. The first time we've actually seen Wardlow in the ring as well. Yep, and is there'll be the first cage match in AEW's history as well. I, I hate cage matches personally. I really don't like them, but we'll see how it goes. Here it is. Uh, but now we're going on to the number one for my under, number one undeniable moment this week, and I would argue it's probably the. It, I'd say this was match of the night, hands down, and it's a huge boost for the AEW women's division because it's the AEW women's title match where Riho defended against Nyla Rose and Nyla Rose becomes the new AEW women's champion. Do you think, now Stevie, do you think this win for Nyla Rose has been long, long overdue? Uh, yes and no in a way. I think her not winning it initially against Riho uh, kind of helped her because she got to develop her character in her in-ring game a bit more and all the things she'd done in the weeks prior the whole the attacks on the referee the attacks on was it Shanna I can't remember yep. exactly who it was yep Shanna even last week's attack on uh, Riho backstage it all helped build her up as this whole powerhouse and I think with all that build and then coming into this match if they did not put the title on her then it would have been a hard way to kind of bring it back for her, I think. I think the timing of it was pretty perfect. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, Nyla even teased a table spot as well, you know, just sort of build in with the whole, you know, table spot she's been doing over this last wee while. Uh, but Riho running across the table to drop kick her into the timekeeper's area. Like, how, how good was that spot? It was a, it was a great spot. I think uh, Riho is a wrestler, in my opinion, who thrives in that underdog role up against the larger athletes I think that's where she's looked at her best in AEW so far yeah they they basically emphasise like how small she actually is like she's only like you know less than about 5 feet tall and about 98 pounds not even triple digits in the weight division so it's going up against somebody like Nyla Rose who's probably like the biggest of the, the biggest person in the women's division right now it was going to be an underdog story right from the word go. I quite liked the the nods to Riho's training and working relationship with Kenny Omega, which is mm -hmm. becoming a lot more documented. And Nyla going to hit Rio with a one run angel, only for Nyla to turn the, uh, Rio to uh, counter it into the the dragon suplexes, the snapdragon. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was it was a nice touch. That was a really good spot. Yeah. But there was a couple other good spots as well, like there was the, the avalanche knee from the top to Rio when she's hanging on the top rope. I thought that was it. 
But this this match in general, I think this elevated Riho in my opinion because for the last sort of few months, I never saw her as a really convincing women's champion. But the amount of resilience and determination she showed against a much larger opponent, you know, I, I've got a newfound respect for Riho definitely. I, I think you're spot on about how her booking as a champion has not been great, but she looked good in defeat here, which mm. could only serve her well going forward. Uh, my only real question mark is I'm, I thought Nyla winning was a correct call, but the big question to me is other than an automatic rematch with Riho, where does the, the where, where's our challenger come from next? Yeah. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Maybe we'll get a, a title match at Revolution, maybe. You probably, we'll... you probably think the rematch will come then, and maybe they'll end up having a feud with somebody else, because the logical contender to me would probably be Chris Statlander. Yeah. She's been she was she's been ruined a wee bit with the whole Nightmare Collective stuff. Feud. Yeah. Well, ho hopefully now that the Nightmare Collectives, you know, in the history books now, maybe we can see the women's division bounce back a bit. But I would like to see Nyla go against. Maybe Chris Statlander, maybe Shanna as well. I mean, yeah, there's a couple of logical options, but hopefully this is a turning point for the division. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've been very critical of the AEW women's division here on Wednesday Night Wars. So, overall, I think this show was really good. You know, it's, it highlights, you know, what their tag team and women's divisions are capable of. And I think they finally found the rhythm now that they've sort of, you know, cut away some stuff that wasn't working and they've got a new direction. I think so, yeah. It was a, decent, a, good, a very good all-round episode. Yep, very happy with how that went. So let's now move over to NXT, Full Sail University. And this is the go-home show before NXT TakeOver Portland. So some people were arguing that this show, this as for a go-home show, NXT may have missed a trick on a couple of aspects, but at the same time, there were moments that really hyped up the pay-per-view, not just for the main event, but also the undercards, because at the moment, TakeOver Portland is looking like an outstanding card at the minute. So we're going to kick things off with your number three undisputed moment of this week. Now, this one was your number three moment, but this was also my number one. So we're sort of differing a bit here, but we both managed to include it in the top three. And that was the match between Johnny Gargano and the hat-wearing hairy bastard himself, Cameron Grimes. <laughs> which, at, this feud actually stemmed from a, a backstage altercation at a live event in California, and then this match was sort of made for this week. So, what's been uh, your view on Cameron Grimes and how he's progressed since the breakout tournament? I actually think he's came on leaps and bounds over the last few weeks. I've Seen a lot of Cameron Grimes' work before he was in WWE's Trevor Lee, both via Impact Wrestling and he did a couple of independent events, tournaments mm -hmm. last year. Uh, he was in London uh, for the Super Strong Style 16 tournament from Progress, where he'd have brought on a bit more of his kind of heel character, which was kind of seeing slowly creep into his work in NXT. And I think he's benefited from a lot of the being in wrestling with a lot of the guys in NXT. Uh, his series with Kushida, I think, greatly helped him. Yep. And this match with Johnny has definitely pushed him up an extra level as somebody who could eventually start to challenge for championships. Yeah. 
And it wasn't that long ago, actually, that he was in a number one contenders match for the NXT North American Championship. So, you know, even though the fact, you know, he was a finalist in the in the breakout tournament, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. He has come on leaps and bounds since uh, since that tournament. You know, and he's been feuding with the likes of Kushida. He's had a match with, he's been in a fatal four-way with Keith Lee, Dijakovic, Damian Priest. And now he's going up against Mr. NXT himself, Johnny Gargano, who looks like he hasn't lost a step since Finn Balor took him out uh, before Survivor Series weekend. Yeah, it was just his, it was his first match on NXT TV for four months. It was his um, always second uh, match on NXT since the end today. Obviously had that match at World's Collide. Mm -hmm. And you're right, it doesn't look like he's missed a step. He's still the Johnny Wrestling we know and love. And the the feud with uh, the feud with Balor's got an interesting aspect to it. I think it's like not to the same degree, obviously. But when you looked at uh, Gargano Champa's feud, which benefited from being held off a number of months, I think this feud's benefited a wee bit from being held off that one extra takeover. Yeah, definitely. You know, it keeps Johnny like off the Survivor Series weekend a bit. It gives him time to time to recover, and then. You know, maybe thought we'd see it at Worlds Collide, perhaps. No, sorry, Worlds Collide's NXT versus UK. That wouldn't have worked. But having him, you know, brush shoulders with Champa again with DIY, that was a nice sort of refreshing moment. But then it was sort of back to business with them almost. Yeah, I think I, I think so. It's and Johnny's uh, over the last couple of weeks has shown a bit of fire to him. He's, he's got under Balor's skin. We saw that in last week's uh, Joe Camera bit where he was really pushing yep. Balor's buttons. And it's, I think it's guaranteed that these two will have a fantastic match on the TakeOver show, which will probably kick off that night. Action. I don't know. I think they'll kick off with uh, one of the title matches. Either maybe the tag, tag match. Tag match, which they usually do. Or they'll go to the... Maybe they'll kick off with the North American title match. Uh, potentially, actually. They might, save, they might save that one until we in the middle. But maybe. regardless, it's this... This, this match did a great job of um, highlighting the two guys in the match, Gargano and Grimes. Mm. Uh, but just for the match itself, like some of the transitions and the counters, you know, a lot of them were really flawless almost. Like I would not expect that. I did not expect that kind of fluidity from from Cameron Grimes. And these two just sort of gelled so well together. Cameron Grimes, you don't really expect that much from him because his looks not really that type of, he doesn't look like a technical wrestler. Uh -huh, he looks but, more like a brawler, yeah. Yeah, but his work over the years before he got to WWE, if you look through some of that one, he was a guy who was regularly, he regularly got called on to take part in the the PWG Best of Los Angeles tournament, and mm -hmm. that's the best of the best on the indies, so you don't get called to that tournament regularly unless you're good. Mm -hmm. Well, here he's hoping that Cameron Grimes' stock continues to rise, and just for pure heel heat, he needs to keep the hat as well. Oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> yep. So, going to my, my number three undisputed moment, we have the promo cut by Tommaso Ciampa in the auditorium. Oh, yes. That was like, nice. That, it's been a long time since I've seen a promo with that kind of intensity uh, by anybody in WWE, but it just goes to show, like, this is why Tommaso Ciampa is arguably the greatest NXT champion of all time. Like, mm -hmm. the, the connection he has with, you know, Goldie... He treats it as if it's like his own his own child, and he treats it as if it's his life. 
the the passion, the intensity, it just screamed out in that very same auditorium where you had to, to give it all up because of the the neck injury. Mm. Yeah, I think in a in a cup in over a two week period where we've seen we talked about Britt Baker's promo earlier on, and we've also had the well publicised promo in NWA by Eddie Kingston. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Champa one's maybe flown a wee bit under the radar, but at the same time, Dave, you're pretty much spot on with the way you kind of say his connection with the crowd, his connection with that belt, and it was a nice touch from NXT to have this particular vignette filmed in that exact same, as you said, the same auditorium where he had to give up that belt, because it's very much highlighting how much it means to him to beat Adam Cole on Sunday. Yeah. Like, if I wasn't hyped for this main event at Portland then, I'm certainly hyped for it now. Because I always felt like it was lacking that that extra bit of intensity. You know, something that, how much does this truly mean to Champa? And I think he delivered that perfectly in this promo. Yeah, my, my only thing with this feud between him and Cole is we look at how much, how big Survivor Series weekend or Survivor Series itself was for NXT. But I think in a way... That maybe stalled him a wee bit based on what happened the night before at the War Games. Mm-hmm. Because Adam Cole came out of Survivor Series looked like a million bucks, while Tommaso Ciampa came out looking like an afterthought to Keith Lee. Yeah, a little bit. But, you know, because it, it, again, it was so sort of down to brand warfare. But would you say that was more just NXT getting one up over, you know, Raw and SmackDown as a whole? Yeah, particularly, it, it was, it was, that whole brand warfare thing was nice for what it did to NXT. They probably, in the future, would maybe want to kind of avoid it clashing with the war games if they did it again. But yeah. at the same time, uh, also, Ch- Champa had a bit of an absence as well off of NXT UK, no, not NXT, NXT TV after it. And then he lost that number one contender's triple threat with him, Balor, and Keith Lee. Uh-huh. So they had a bit of a stall momentum, but at this, but. It's, he's, he's still kind of he's still doing a good job with it with what he's doing at the moment and this promo helped boost it up a wee bit yeah he's recovered it really well and I'm really excited to see it to see it happen do you think we could see a title change this Sunday or do you think they're going to put it off until say Wrestlemania weekend which is which is which was another point that he addressed in his promo because he really wanted to go into Mania weekend as champion last year uh, I'm torn 50-50 on it I think uh, they will face again, regardless. Mm-hmm. Purely because I don't really see anybody else in that position to challenge Cole. I think he's had too many matches with Gargano. So it would be logical to go again at Mania, regardless. I just can't. I'm just. I'm on the fence of who will win the one here. I would maybe sway on Champa and then him to win the rematch again at WrestleMania weekend. Mm, maybe um, but we'll, we'll see how I'm at the same time I'm kind of 50-50 as well but we'll see how it we'll see how it transpires so going into the number two moment of this week now we both have the same one as well and it is the Broserweights Roads to Portland like <laughs> I mean what, what can you say about Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne that hasn't already been said because me personally I think these guys teaming together is probably one of the best creative decisions that NXT's done in a very long time. See, so many people in the past have criticised WWE for throwing tag teams together randomly. Yeah. But it's like anything, occasionally you'll get an odd pairing 
that works. Daniel Bryan and Kane, for example. Yep, they great example. Off Fantastic tag team. But Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne should fall under that same category because they should not work, but they are absolute gold together. You get the, the combination of Matt Riddle's undeniable charisma mm-hmm. and Pete Dunne's just deadpan seriousness. Mm-hmm. And it just... It, it's, it, it's produced some fantastic, not just segments, but fantastic matches. The two of them are great together as a team in ring. Yeah, like I've never seen two guys who are so different, like outside of the ring. You know, when the way they interact with each other, but when they step inside the ring, it's as if they've been tag teaming for years. Like they're they're they just gel so well together, and like because they do a lot of hard hitting, striking, intense type movements, and. You know, there's the they sort of tie in it a bit with the the promos they cut as well. You know, the the joint manipulation being just straight up blunt with each other, and they just leave them in the smoke. Uh, I love the the car segment, the car vignette part, the first of the three oh, yeah. parts. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, uh, Matt Riddle telling Pete Dunne to drive on the right side of the road, yeah. and then when they obviously they get stopped for Pete's driving on the wrong side of the road Matt just yep. like just let me do the talking let me do the talking yeah. never like, do the talking again uh, it's like I've, done, I've been here before like that's never a good thing uh, <laughs> no it was a, it was, a, it was a wee bit different it was a nice it was a nice bit of comedy moments interlocked with a lot of quite serious matches obviously that Champa promo you talked about very yep. serious in its nature uh, this particular bits were very very funny and we even got a nice wee cameo from Uncle Paul. Yep. Where they sneak into the, the boot of the plane. It's <laughs> great. Whose plane even is this? <laughs> <laughs> like the do you think the swan the swan boat was a bit much or do you think that sort of added the sort of transitional phase to it? It was random. It's, it's, it, that's that's all it was, it was random. You know what these two actually remind me of? Um Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan in Rush Hour. Yeah, I can see that. Like Chris, Chris Tucker is, you know, the sort of really over-the-top, uh, eccentric L.A. cop. And Jackie Chan is the very serious detective inspector from Hong Kong. And But when they put the two of them together, it's just comedy gold. How is this, how is this going to get us to Portland? No, this is just how I relax. <laughs> you, could just, uh, you could really just imagine Matt Riddle taking out a pedalo or a swan on his weekends off, you know, lighting up a couple of things that Matt he likes to light up and, <laughs> you know, let his troubles wash away. Uh, and they're they're facing the undisputed era for the tag team titles in Portland as well. Could we potentially see a title change given the, given the impact they've had so far? Uh, I would say it's either going to be a title change or a turn. And given how well they've worked together, I think they'll hold off on the turn and they'll probably pull the trigger and give them the belts. Yeah, I agree. I think it's way too early for them to turn right now because they've got two key bits of merch out right now. They're over as hell with the crowd and they've just come off a major win in the Dusty Cup, which they're also treating like a third person as well, which I think is really cool. In the same way that sort of Matt Hardy treated the Andre the Giant Battle Royal Trophy after Mania 34. Yeah, I think it'll benefit them in the long run to win the titles here. I mean, I hate to go against Undisputed Era in a, a tag team title match here, but...
But honest to god, the Broserweights are just too hot of a commodity to drop at this stage. And let's be honest, the Undisputed Era, well, they can afford to lose. They're not mm. going to be any less over than they already are. Yeah, absolutely. So, now we, uh, before we get to your number one Undisputed moment, because my number one was Gargano and Grimes, uh, quite a lot of honourable mentions here, and some that very, very just fell short of the cut, but I would have been happy to include any of these on the on the Undisputed list. So, speaking of Undisputed, we have the main event between Adam Cole, Bebe, and Kushida. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not sure what your opinion is on this, but I felt this almost felt like filler, because Kushida, as we mentioned, you know, he was in a feud with Cameron Grimes for a bit, which he ended up being on the losing end of. And he also went out in the first round of the Dusty Cup uh, as part of the Time Splitters. So, do you think it's odd sort of seeing him in this position in the main event, given, you know, he's lost a bit of momentum lately? Uh, in a way, it was, it was it, as you said, Dave, it was filler. You know, it was a way to kind of put on a decent match for Adam Cole before the takeover, because Kushida is probably one of the best wrestlers in the world, but he's had, he's been stalled a wee bit with injuries since he's been in NXT, much like... Uh, Hideo Itami was all those years ago so I think in a way it was done to give Adam Cole a good match before the the takeover whilst also slowly starting to put Kushida back on TV and I I would like to see Kushida more involved over the coming months it's just interesting to see how they'll actually go about it yeah I mean just those two names alone I think would sell out a crowd just as the main event uh, I just I just didn't think there was any build or momentum behind it, which I think was a bit of a letdown. But yeah. these, two, these two names, drawing power alone, it definitely makes for a good a good match on NXT, almost like a, an exhibition match, as it were. But I hope um, Kushida and Alex Shelley get a bit more exposure in the tag division going forward. I think that's where he's best suited. Yeah, I mean, we're not 100% sure at the moment when... There is talk Alex Shelley is will be back in NXT, Mm-hmm. It's just more of a question when, because he's got a lot of independent bookings over the next couple of months, including over WrestleMania weekend. So it might be a couple of months before we see Shelley back, mm-hmm. if he is going to come back. So it might just this might just be a way to keep Kushida fresh in our minds. Yeah, maybe. Well, he's still got 205 Live and a Cruiserweight title to pursue, so there is options for him. It's true. He would fit, yep. fit quite well, I guess, uh, one of the guys in the Cruiserweight division. Mm. Speaking of the Cruiserweight division... Uh, we had a number one contenders match between Leo Rush and Angel Garza. Now, we've spoken about these two on Wednesday Night Wars before, and we've said that these two click so well together and have had some of the best matches that the Cruiserweight division has to offer. What's been your your view on this sort of rivalry? Oh, I think it's been great. I absolutely love it. Angel Garza is... We talk about charisma and Matt Riddle. Mm-hmm. Angel Garza's full of charisma as well. He just... It's just magnetic when you kind of see him on screen. Uh, Leo Rush, uh, he's a guy myself and Grant talked about on the first episode of Indie Sausage Roll when we were previewing the 16-carat <laughs> gold tournament. Yeah. And we talked about how he's got that X factor, that level of excitement that we never really got to see in WWE until recently. So having giving him the platform to be able to produce top-quality matches every time he's out there, it's been absolutely fantastic, and I think he's got a perfect mesh for him at Angel Garza. Mm-hmm. I, and that movie does the, the come up where he bounces off the bottom rope. 
I mean, that either sets them up for excellent moves or it sets them up for excellent counters. And I think we got to see a bit of both from them in this match. Yeah, there was a fantastic spot as well where Galza pulls uh, Rush up by the hands. Oh, yeah, that he's, he's some... Yeah, that was spot of the whole match. I, that was really, really innovative. Oh, but it was absolutely fantastic. And that's the counter to the the, the, the move Leo Rush does that you mentioned, David, the kind of springboards type of stunner mm-hmm. was, was absolutely brilliant as well. It's just they, they seem like two men who could wrestle every week and you wouldn't get bored of it. Uh, see, that's the thing. I think that's kind of what kept it out of the the top three undisputed moments this week for me. It's just the fact that we've seen it's uh, we've seen these two go at it quite a number of times now. I think it's just watered down a little bit because I mean I've seen some great like they always deliver great matches. I think the, you know the repetitiveness is just starting to sink in, and I think this has probably been their their weakest match out of like a series of classics so far. Well, didn't have the belt on it either. Which no, exactly. Well. So, when, um, when the title's not directly involved, it kind of lowers the hype a bit. Uh, in a way, you maybe maybe look at it, it was maybe weird that Galza didn't win because it's Galza who's been talking the game to Jordan Devlin. But at the same time, Galza's currently preoccupied filling in for Andrade on Raw. Mm-hmm. Leo rushes a face against Devlin's heel character. It's mm-hmm. probably the best move to have Rush go over, and I think. Rush versus Devlin's a match I've never really seen, but I think that could be a fantastic contest whenever it happens. Mm. And just one last thing on this subject. How surprised were you to see Jordan Devlin win the NXT Cruiserweight title at Worlds Collide? Not one to gloat, Dave, but I did call it at the time when we did the preview. You did call it, actually, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't think any of us were ruling it out, but I guess when we actually just saw it happen, I think it just sort of sunk in. But I think it's thoroughly earned on the part of Devlin. You know, he's an outstanding competitor on NXT UK. Like, myself and Gary, like, can always give him praise on 4-Way Fatal. And to see him in this position as a champion, I'm I'm very excited to see what they do with him now. Even though he's sort, he's sort of jumping between... He may jump between both Full Sail and UK at the minute. Yeah, he's a guy who's got, he's got the full package. He can talk, he can work a heel or a face style he's athletic he can hit hard moves he's got every single tool he just needs the platform and the faith and at the moment he's been given both yeah so the sky's the limit for Jordan Devlin in a minute and I'm looking forward to seeing this title match happen next week as well that's that's when we're seeing it yep we, are, we now have a, a bit of a squash match between Bianca Belair and Santana Garrett, but I think this was definitely just to hype the NXT women's title match at TakeOver Portland. Do you think there's any chance that Bianca Belair could get involved in this WrestleMania-worthy feud between Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair? Sadly not, I don't think. I think Belair's done a good job of putting her name in the contention because without what Belair's done in the last two weeks, you'd have probably said it was a a foregone conclusion that she was losing at TakeOver. So to have her do the work done the last two weeks has put a degree of doubt in some minds. But sadly, I don't think WWE would, for a second year in a row, throw a triple threat match mm. in the works when they've got a singles match between two stars as highly thought of by the company as Rhea and Charlotte are. Mm-hmm. But do you know what this, this has actually done for me personally, though? It's planted seeds of doubt. You know, it takes quite a, a good amount of predictability away from it. Like, 
you kind of have like your conscience is saying this is what they're going to do come WrestleMania weekend. But at the same time, you've got maybe just a few seeds of doubt thinking, what if? Yeah. What if things change last minute and they do throw Bianca Belair into the mix? Because, I mean, you know you know what they say, like anything could happen in WWE and a lot of us were saying Angel Garza was going to retain at Worlds Collide, but you called it and said Devlin was going to win. And look what's happened now. Yeah, exactly. You, 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 want to have, you don't want things to be too predictable. So I think well, we've seen that one as well. And it's not as if, it's not as if Bianca's someone who the company don't seem to have any faith in. A mm-hmm. Royal Rumble performance would show that that's, they have plenty of faith in her. Yep. It's just whether they have enough faith in her to throw her into a marquee match like this against Charlotte Flair and Rhea yeah. Ripley. I think Rhea Ripley's just sort of overtaken her a bit, given how much how much more over she is with the crowd yeah. than Bianca, I think. But, you know, Bianca, you know, like you said, solid performer, great amount of popularity, and she is going to be women's champion one day. Um, but do you think maybe she's more suited to maybe Raw or SmackDown as opposed to NXT? Uh, Bianca probably would fit in really well on a main roster show mm-hmm. because of her... Um, she has a very talented mic worker and she's got a powerful style. Hang on, let, than, me, let, me, let me just correct you on that. NXT is the main roster right now. There's level on it, you know. Yeah. Uh, she, would, she would work well in a Raw or a SmackDown because of mm-hmm. her style. She's not as much of a technical type wrestler as a lot of the people on NXT who have made their name down there. Mm-hmm. So she probably could fit in on a Raw or a SmackDown. Yeah, definitely. And one last segment before we touch on your number one undisputed moment, and that is the promo between Roderick Strong and Velveteen Dream. Now, Roderick Strong had a, a sort of opening, had the opening match with Bronson Reed, given what happened the week before. I think Undisputed Era were on a, a rampage, and yeah. Bronson was just one of the casualties. So that's kind of where that feud stemmed about. But having Roderick Strong get the win definitely gets some momentum back after losing the, the North American title. But Velveteen Dream, do you think he's now sort of taken a, a Rick Rude-esque approach with this whole taunting him about his family? It's very much like, it's, a, it's one that, it's definitely Rick Rude-esque. You're not getting me wrong. The whole, fa- the whole face on the tights is Rick Rude all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a way, it's kind of made you have a bit of sympathy for Roddy. Oh yeah, because yeah. that's normally what a heel does, you know, the yeah. way that Velveteen cut his promos. But now it's sort of flipped reverse a bit, so it's a little bit confusing. Yeah, I mean, you can understand Velveteen's reasonings for Target Roddy, given that it was Roddy who took him out and put him on the shelf on, in storyline. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but I, I, it's part of me now thinking that this could be their way of building sympathy for Roddy, which could lead up to the breakup of the era. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is what's good with Undisputed Era right now. They're all sort of in their own individual programs a bit, but still acting like a unit, because obviously Roddy's going to feud with Velveteen. Uh, Kyle and Bobby are up against the Broserweights, and then Adam Cole's got his hands full with Champa. Yes, it's, it, they've, got, they've all got their own elements going on. It's just what's going to be the big... What's going to be the payoff for this whole thing? What's, just the straw, gonna be- what's the straw that breaks the camel's back, essentially? Yeah, and I think having the way this feud's going between the two of them, you do feel a bit of sympathy for Roddy, and you do feel like supporting him a wee bit. Mm-hmm. Which you, never, pro- you don't tug Superman's cape, you don't spit in the wind, and you don't insult a man's family. 
Yeah, so I think that could eventually lead to the dissension because he's the one getting sympathy and then he's the one that will maybe get blamed for stuff or something like that. He, they may end, this dispute there, they might end up blaming him for beginning the... I mean, if Cole and Bobby and Kyle all lose on Sunday, they could then say, well, it's all started with Roddy. I'll start with Roddy's now look up he's lost his focus mm. and that's the that's the trigger well I think this is what's been the good thing about the the Undisputed Era they've all got individual angles that are going forward but we can also maybe tease a bit of dissension as well so um, I think they've done a good job with building it up and you know building towards takeover but also the, the Fallout show as well like it mm. keeps the momentum going they're not just jamming everything onto a takeover or a pay-per-view Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're definitely doing that. It's good. Yeah. It's, 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 work. it's a marquee match for the first for the next takeover, not the next yep. uh, TV show. It gives reason people to tune in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. Now, your number one undisputed moment. We haven't really sort of. We've only briefly addressed the women's division, but let's talk about the the women's undercard division. And it is your number one undisputed moment was the brawl between Lady Kane, Tegan Knox, and Captain Kota, Dakota Kai. Yes. So this sort of stemmed from, uh, uh, well, Candice LeRae and Dakota Kai were having a match, which Dakota won in quite a, in a bit of a sneaky roll-up fashion, so not quite what you would see from a heel. But, you know, the, the brawl that ensued afterwards between Tegan and Dakota, like, why was this your number one moment? I personally... People, people just say, "Oh, he's just saying that because he's a Tegan Knox fan." But I actually find <laughs> that this whole this feud has probably been the best undercard feud on NXT over the last few months because you can kind of feel the hate between both both ladies, mm-hmm. and I quite like. I'm, I'm I'm a sucker for a decent, not overly cheesy pull apart brawl, and I thought that the way this was done. Was a, was a good way to do it because Tegan just comes out of nowhere from the crowd it's not like she just comes running down the ramp mm-hmm. it's a kind of shock factor of that one it kind of makes you feel you still continually feel the hate between the two which is why I really really enjoyed it I'll probably add in actually the fact that I quite like the match between Dakota and Candice Candice is highly uh, she's very consistent in what she does and when she ever she gets in the ring mm-hmm. and having her have some sort of involvement in this angle would maybe tease a wee bit of could she be involved in the match on Sunday you never know but I think that this has been the you may disagree on this one David some people may disagree on it. I think it's probably been the best built feud of the the takeover card I think it's it's been a a decent build for this feud I mean not not denying I think it's not been a bad build definitely not I just think there have been others that have done a little bit better but that, that, that's just me personally I think the reason I say that is because, I mean, Dakota Kai's heel turn execution was outstanding. Yes. Although I do feel think she's lost a bit of momentum over the last couple of months, given that, you know, her Royal Rumble showing wasn't that great. And she did lose to Tegan Knox in a one-on-one match in just fairly standard fashion. So I, I think that sort of took away some of the, the intensity from it a bit. And, I mean, the, the match with Candice as well, again, it was good, but not something you'd expect to see, you know, as like a, a proper blood feud between all three members of Team Kick. I would think the point between Tegan's return 
and Dakota's, and obviously Dakota's uh, turning on Tegan Knox at uh, uh, War Games. They could have done a wee bit more with it. The whole Mia Yim should never have went over or should never have took her out the way she did. Mia, uh, Dakota should have went over Mia Yim. Exactly, yeah. It's one of those moments, yeah. I mean, she yeah. sure she won the match, but Mia Yim got the upper hand when she did that air raid crash through the table. And then with the Royal Rumble match, as she said, that's probably... You, you would have expected Triple H to be in the ear of the main roster, the Rod Smackdown guy saying, I've got these two girls feuding on my show. Have a moment where they come together. Don't just have Tegan come out at 15, get knocked out in two minutes, and then we... No, no, Tegan, sorry, Dakota comes out at 15 goes out mm. in two minutes and then we don't see Tegan Knox for another 20 minutes. That aspect of it, I can agree with you on it, but I, I would disagree with you on the whole match they had on the NXT show because Tegan did use the, the knee brace to win. Yep. Which kind yep. of throws a bit of desperate, desperateness on her. That's true, yep, that's true. So there is aspects of that one and there is, it helps add in, it's the match at TakeOver is going to be a street fight. So having them have some sort of pull-apart brawl helps put over that match as well. And also as well, in terms of that one, you talk about the other matches on the card, do they, they've not needed as much of this type of action as this particular feud does. You could book the other matches on the TakeOver card without with very little interaction, especially the Keith Lee, Dijakovic. Both, yep. of them, both of them weren't on the TV this week. Well, we really saw a fantastic video package with Mark Henry. So Yeah, yeah, they came they both came across really well in emphasizing like how, you know, big guys can carry themselves in the ring and these two just exemplify it big time. Uh, and we've these seen are them on, Sorry, there you go. Yeah, we've we've seen them feud on NXT before, so we know we're guaranteed a good match between these two. I picked this one I picked this as my number one because I thought this was the feud that needed something extra on their show to do okay. something. And by having the the match, the pull-apart brawl. Granted, it wasn't a, fa- a massive pull-apart brawl, but it did enough for me to sell me on the match. And it's probably the match that could defy expectations on the pay-per-view. Yeah, I think you might be right. I think if there's any if there's any match on the card that will defy expectations, it is probably going to be this one because everybody's expecting classics from you know the NXT title match, from Balor Gargano, from the tag title match. Yeah, like all the mat, all the other matches bar this one have high expectations. This one could probably just blow them out of proportion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And yeah. both of them are really good in the ring. It's going to oh be yeah, good to give no chance to show it on a big stage. And I think this is the the opportunity for them to do so. So yeah, that's uh, that's then this week of Wednesday Night Wars, and there is a lot to look forward to next week as well. Like on AEW, we've got the tag team battle royal and the cage match between Cody and Wardlow on the build towards AEW Revolution. But this is the this was the go-home show for NXT, so next stop is we're looking forward to take over Portland, and then possibly a few other matches uh, coming out from that. We've got Velveteen Dream and Roderick Strong being the, the talked about one for this week, but we'll discuss that and a lot more on next week's show. So all that remains to say is thank you to Stevie for making his debut on Wednesday Night Wars this week. Thank you, David. It's been a pleasure. Yep. So check out TakeOver Portland this weekend on Sunday. And if you want to follow what we do here on Suplex Retweet Extra, we have a ton of bonus content, including the Wednesday Night Wars, 4-Way Fatal, Raw Report, 
Anyway, back to the wrestling and our independent shows, Alba Gugratz, where Sarah and Quacko look at Scottish independent wrestling, and our newest show, Indie Sausage Roll, which covers the rest of the, the independents. So check that out on Suplex Retweet Extra, and don't forget to subscribe to our regular weekly content, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, every Thursday on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, and all good Android podcasting sites. Don't forget to hit us up on social media as well, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. And be sure to check our website for all the articles, interviews, everything else in between. And on YouTube, you can follow our 365 Championship Series as well. So this has been the Wednesday Night Wars. I've been David Hockney. He's been Stevie Wilson. And we will see you next week.